Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Good morning, Reach Life. I'm Lizette. And good morning. I'm Scotty. Uh, We are the Parks family. Today, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 18, and we're going to be reading verses 12 through 27. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Aniston sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Good morning, everybody. Heavy stuff in the passage, right? Um, We are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John. Uh, It's been really good to pick that series back up. We've come to the point in uh, following Jesus in the Gospel of John where Jesus has left the sort of upper room uh, meal with the disciples where they were observing the Jewish Passover meal. We call that now the Lord's Supper. We'll celebrate that at the end uh, today as we do always. But Jesus walks out of that room to be crucified. And we see that mankind has rejected Jesus. They will soon give Jesus a crown of thorns. Uh, But at the same time, we've talked about in this series called Coronation that it's not just Jesus receiving a crown of thorns from mankind, but that God the Father has given Jesus a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a a coronation. It's an, an accomplishment by God. But today, We're going to be looking at a topic that, you know, if we're honest with ourselves and we allow ourselves to sit in maybe some quiet 
honest moments of personal reflection. It's going to be a topic that's really uh, true and real in all of our lives, and it's the idea of falling when we least expect it. Uh, that's what we've ti- why I've titled our time together today, In Denial of the King, Take Heed Lest You Fall. Um, I, I'll be open with all of you. I, I've, uh, in recent months and years, seen some of my uh, some of my personal heroes of the faith fall, and um, you know, just uh, being real, this whole uh, this whole Ravi Zacharias thing, man. He was a guy that was used in my life of the Lord probably more than than anyone, and. Um, we come to find out here's a guy who would share profound truths and insights about God on one hand in a, in a very public way and in front of his family, and yet privately lived an absolutely double life. And he f- harmed people, abused people psychologically, physically, emotionally, spiritually in terrible ways. And I was and I was disillusioned by it, quite honestly. It, it shook me. You can ask Kelly, man. I was like, man, this is crazy. Um, and it shook me, but it did not shake my faith because my faith isn't in Ravi Zacharias. My faith is in Jesus Christ. Um, but and, and listen, no matter what the... Uh, we, we talked about postmodernism several weeks ago. No matter what the postmodern sort of self-help people tell you, Having, um, having your confidence in yourself shaken can be a good thing. And that's what happened to me. My confidence wasn't shaken in Jesus. This Ravi Zacharias thing and, and others um, shook my confidence in myself. That's a good thing. That can be a really healthy thing because it can sober you up, you know, to the, the reality of your own fallenness and your own vulnerability to fall in. Um, so it's, it's been really speaking loudly to me. You know, uh, we may think, man, I, w- I would never bring reproach upon Jesus. Really? I mean, do you really think that people like Ravi Zacharias uh, would have thought the same thing? I don't think anybody starts out saying, let me see how much shame I can bring to myself and how much reproach I can bring upon the name of Jesus. I don't think any Christian starts that way. So do we somehow think we're beyond that? Be careful. Be careful. Take heed lest you fall. We're going to be looking back at another uh, drastically unexpected failure that the parks just read for us, and hopefully you were able to follow along in your copy of the Word of God. We have a man, Peter, who was part of Jesus' inner circle of three, right? There were the 12 apostles but inside that group, there were like three, Peter, James, and John, who, were, who seemed especially close to the Lord and, his, and, and were involved in His work in a, in a particularly close way. Yet in Jesus' darkest, most difficult hour, He's about to go be crucified, beaten, flogged, beard pulled out, crown of thorns, all of that. Peter denies Him. Now you may remember our passage from last week. Um, just a just a, a programming note. Remember that the Gospel of John, as we've gone through it, has really slowed down now at these later chapters. So we went pretty fast, but these last 
I can't remember how many chapters it is, but they slow down and focus on Jesus's final hours before the crucifixion. And so really the passage that we read last week in history was just a few hours ago. So just a few hours ago, the apostle Peter was willing to face anything for Jesus. At least he thought he was. Um, Again, just mere hours before he denied Jesus three times. Remember, Peter was drawing the sword, man, chopped the guy's ear off, probably aiming for his head, right? We, We don't know, but it's a weird thing to just to chop somebody's ear off, right? Peter's charging, charging the Roman cohort for Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, we can't, we can't uh, say that Peter wasn't zealous. This, you know, um, none of the other disciples took this sort of bold step for Jesus. Peter was clearly the most passionate disciple, even if he's wrongheaded at, at times. He's clearly the most passionate, most passionate disciple about his commitment to Jesus. And so I, I want us to hear something really well this morning, um, because Peter was willing to fight for Jesus to the death, was he not? I mean, you can't think you're going to survive if you charge a Roman cohort like that unless Jesus miraculously intervenes. But something's coming up on the screen. Now, I want us to take it to heart because it's the main part of our theme this morning. Peter was willing to die for Jesus, but what he found more difficult was living for Jesus. You know, Peter followed the guards who kind of arrested him and took him before Caiaphas, the high priest. Um, But in that courtyard, something happened. Peter had been courageous and bold. Something happened in that courtyard. Again, only hours before, he had looked at Jesus in the eye in the upper room and said he would never do the thing that he is now doing in our passage. Today, he denied that he was even a follower of Jesus, not once, but three times that one night. What I want us to see is that you and I have the very same capacity to do the very same thing. And I know it may sound foreign. We look at Peter and say, Peter, you're an idiot. And maybe sometimes he acts like an idiot. Guess what? So do I, man. Right? So do you. Um, We... If we're honest with one another, man, we, we have to admit, we've all, we actually, all of us have already denied Jesus several times in the past. It's, that's just the truth. Um, so what does this test, text teach us about ourselves? Um, hopefully what we'll go through this morning will save us some pain, maybe save us some shame, maybe save us from soiling the name of Jesus. Um, and as we go through these things, if you've raise your hand if you've ever heard a sermon on this passage before. Many of most of you. Well, nothing that I'm going to share this morning is going to be new to you. Right? Um, these these things from the text are obvious. They are the points that are in there. Every commentary I read basically said the same thing. But here's the deal. I think there's a reason the Lord made it so obvious. He wants us to see it. And he put it in a book that not one jot nor tittle will pass away from because he wants us to see it again. (laughs) He wants us to be reminded. And so I want us to look at some things this morning that can keep us, I hope, by God's grace, from shaming ourselves and bringing reproach upon the name of Jesus. A few things first I want us to see are some warnings, I think, 
that we need to heed. And if you're a note taker, I know many of you are, you're going to use that whole back sheet today. Um, I think to understand the full picture of what's going on here, here with Peter, we need to weave in sort of the, uh, the background and some other pieces of the historical account from the other Gospels. And those of you who have been reading along with us as a church have mentioned that it's been really cool to read these overlapping events, right, from the different perspectives of the eyewitnesses that were there who are writing these things down. They fill in the gaps for one another and that sort of thing. So I hope today um, to do, do the same practice. I think it's going to help us. Um, I think just to keep in your mind, something to, to keep in your mind was that Jesus had actually warned Peter before this denial ever took place. Did he not? Those of you may, some of you may remember that. Uh, again, this only covers a narrow window of time, but remember back in John 13. You can go ahead and flip your Bible back there if you want. In John 13, they were eating this first celebration of the Lord's Supper. Again, the, what they met for is the Jewish Passover meal, but Jesus turned it into the Lord's Supper. And Jesus told his disciples he was going to leave and be crucified or, or, or be killed. And in John 13, 36 through 38, this happens. Simon Peter, our, our guy for today, said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly. Truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow, crow till you have denied me three times. And Peter's like, so look at it. Peter's like, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Look at the confidence Peter has. Peter's very sure of himself, isn't he? Um, and Jesus is like, really? Really, Peter? Check this out. You, 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 will, you will die later. Um, but right now, Peter... You're going you're gonna to deny me. In fact, you're going to deny me three times this night. So take heed, Peter, Jesus says. Take heed, Terry. Take heed, James. Take heed, all of us, lest we fall. So this is kind of the background. And with that background, I, I want to give you three warnings here just from this uh, John 13 kind of situation, this passage ahead of time. And the first one is, we need to beware of thinking lightly of God's Word. Beware of thinking lightly of God's Word. Now, Jesus, God the Son, come in the flesh, had plainly said a word. This is God speaking to Peter. Where I go, you cannot follow me, but you will follow afterward. Now, again, history tells us that Jesus was referring to how Peter was going to die. Um, Jesus was going to be crucified. Peter later would be crucified uh, upside down. So Jesus uh, was about to die, though, bearing the brunt of what we deserve. Think about what Jesus was going to accomplish on the cross. Jesus was going to go be crucified to die in your place and in my place to pay the penalty for our sins, what we're due, so that if we put our trust in him and what he's done for us on the cross, we can be saved, forgiven, and reconciled to God. That's what Jesus is going to accomplish. So Jesus is saying, Peter, you can't do that. You simply do not have the capacity. You're a mere human being. You cannot die for the sins of the world, Peter. What I'm going to go do, you can't do. And Peter, 
Peter thought he knew better. No, no, Lord, I can go with you, right? Peter's so self-assured. So this seems to be a running track record for Peter, doesn't he? He's arguing with God. The Gospels remind us, again, when Jesus' inner circle, Peter, James, and John, remember they saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? Jesus in his full displayed divinity, no longer shielded by his humanity. It's kind of like this portal between heaven and earth opens. And even seeing that, seeing Jesus like that, Peter treated Jesus' words lightly and argued with God then. The book of Matthew records that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, that's plain, isn't it? That's plain teaching from Jesus. And it says, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. What a foolish thing for Peter, a mere man, to say to Jesus. Jesus, you're going to go die and do it? No way. This is not going to happen to you. Jesus is like, yes, it is. And on purpose. Peter's like, Jesus, I have a better plan, not only for my life, but for your life too, Jesus. This is coming from Peter. And so what Jesus responds to Peter with should really check us in our spirits right now. He sees Peter's um, arguing with him about what Jesus is going to do as evil. It says, but he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you in the eyes and calling you Satan? The adversary. You know, this is crazy stuff right here. I mean, this is heavy. I think it's what's kind of quiet in here today. This is heavy stuff. How much, though, are we like Peter? How much have we heard God's word to us, which is the Bible now, right? Um, very plain teaching of the Bible. And we, say, we see what it uh, says about our lives and how we live and the choices that we make. And then we set God's word aside to say, you know what? I actually have a better plan. I actually have a better plan than that. Anybody done that besides me? Right? Again, let's let's be honest. And God exposes the errors of our ways and our thinking, our ways of life, and we see it clearly and we feel convicted. And then what do we do with that conviction? We find ways to justify or even uh, translate the Bible differently. We reinterpret the Bible based on the things that we want to do, say, think, feel, the motives we want to have, And we twist the Word of God precisely because it's making us uncomfortable. When we do this, we're doing exactly what Peter did here in history. We're doing it right here, right now in our own lives. So we are very much like Peter. So let's beware of taking God's Word lightly. It led to Peter's downfall, and it can lead to ours as well. Number two, beware of having an inflated self-image. Now, we've already seen that in Peter, haven't we? The Gospel of Matthew, again, if you're taking notes, you can just write these references down. Chapter 26 records that Jesus Jesus told his disciples that they would all fall away from him. And again, Peter questions Jesus' words, just like he did on the mountain. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, 
I, Peter, will never fall away. You kidding me? Again, directly contradicting the words of Jesus. He looks at the other apostles. All those guys will fall away, not me, Jesus. I'm better than all the other apostles, says Peter. He's got an inflated self-image. That's his basic problem. He's got an inflated opinion of himself. But he really didn't know himself at all, apparently. He didn't understand the deceitfulness of his own heart. You know, Paul's New Testament letters to the church tell us things like 1 Corinthians, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, those of you who know the passage, lest he fall. Lest he fall. Author of Hebrews says, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. The apostle Peter. Later, here's a glimpse of hope, later in his own letters to the churches, Peter would say things like this, and I'll do sort of a, a mesh of different passages. He would say things like, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And then in uh, chapter 5, verse 8 of 1 Peter, he would say, Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter would later get it. Right now, he does not get it. So let's take a history lesson to heart today. Um, the person who thinks he, cannot, he or she cannot fall is in the most precarious place possible. If you think you're above it, if you think you're safe, if you think you're like Peter thought he was, this is, that's a precarious place to be in, man. That's, you're, you're teetering on, on the edge. That'll be a meme, teetering on the edge, right? We've got to be careful of those things. So, listen, Peter, think about what Peter had just seen in his life, in his walk with Jesus prior to all these things taking place. He saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, full divinity on display. Peter had been in the upper room where God the Son, Jesus in the flesh, was speaking to God the Father out loud. That's an amazing thing to see. Peter had tremendous experiences. Um, he had heard that high priestly prayer at first person. So what, what else could have prepared Peter more to not fall? What experience could he possibly have to keep his faith in this situation with this slave girl outside warming his hands before Jesus' crucifixion? What if, he, if, if our personal experiences of the past could save us, Peter would have had those experiences. But I'm telling you, man, pay, uh, placing our trust in our own strength or in our past experiences with Jesus is fool's gold. That's fool's gold. The Apostle Paul said it better than I can. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So let's be careful of having a, an inflated self-image. And next, beware of untested motives. These are real practical things, you guys. We look for nuts and bolts things to help us in life. Here they are. Beware of having untested motives and, and or intentions. 
Peter had great motives. I would think he had great motives. Jesus, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. Well, I think he's motivated by, he loves Jesus, right? That's a good motivation. Of course, we admire a man who's willing to, to, to step up like that in the face of danger. But one commentator I read put it this way, but when confronted by a mere slave girl, Peter's self-generated ambition was crushed like a peanut under the foot of an elephant. Exactly. Peter, this guy with the sword, withered, melted in that situation. Great motives and intentions are fine, but what happens when they're tested? That's the question. What happens when they're tested? I think Peter probably followed Jesus into that courtyard for good reasons. I don't know what his motivations were, but whatever they were, he followed Jesus into harm's way, did he not? But I don't think want to, wanting to do something is enough to sustain us when the rubber meets the road. I don't think want to is strong enough. Um, we can have an, still have an over-reliance on our own strength and abilities and fall no matter how bad we don't want to fall if we were relying on ourselves. Um, Remember, Peter had already been basically begged by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus had told Peter, Jesus had given Peter what it would take for him to not fall into temptation. Did he not tell him? Watch and pray. And Just a little side note, that's a note for us in our prayer lives. Watch, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Does anybody besides me deal with any kind of temptation anywhere, anytime? Anybody deal with temptation besides me? Let's watch and pray so that we don't enter into temptation. Our spirit's willing, but our flesh is weak. So Peter slept, though, didn't he, In in the garden. He went to sleep, which means Peter was trusting his own abilities. I got this. I'm good. I'm going to sleep now, so then when the soldiers come, I'm ready, right? Peter's trusting his own self. Um, So those are a few warnings, things to be aware of, thinking lightly of God's word, having an inflated self-image, and having untested motives. These were inward weaknesses of this outwardly strong-looking disciple, Peter. Um, They led to his downfall, and if we're not careful, they can lead to our downfall as well. So now, check it out. We get to move to our text for today. We get to move. Uh, everybody take a deep breath. John 18, you can flip your Bibles back over there. So we get to look at the actual denial. We can, we can take a look, and, and I want you to pull in here closely because if we just shake our heads at Peter's stupidity, then we've missed the point, right? Uh, the point is for us to look at ourselves. We can be stupid like Peter. Um, So in the context of Peter's actual denial over in John chapter 18, I want us to look at some dangers to avoid here. Some dangers that I think Peter ran into. The first one is wanting to be a private Christian. Again, these are practical things. This is nothing new. These are things that you've heard before. Let's hear them again with fresh ears. Peter fell into the danger of wanting to be a private Christian. Peter had once been the boldest of Christians. Just a few hours earlier, remember charging charging the army. Peter's bold. Now Peter doesn't even want anybody to know he knows Jesus. There's a slave girl who was attending the door, you're right, uh, to Caiaphas' courtyard. Jesus is going to be brought into a mock trial. And in verse 17 of chapter 18, she says, 
you also are not one of the, this man's disciples, are you? That word also is referring to the other disciple, who, was, who I and others think is probably John himself writing this. So this girl's saying, you're not like that guy John, are you? You're not, like, you're not like him. You're not one of this man, Jesus' disciples also, are you? And it's, the Greek language there indicates this is a rhetorical question. She expects him to say no. You're not like one of those guys, are you? And Peter, wanting to be a private follower of Jesus, says, I'm not. Notice that the girl didn't ask Jesus, uh, Peter whether he believed in Jesus or not. Lots of people believe in Jesus. Jesus had multitudes of people following him around specifically because they believed in him that they, he could heal them. He could like multiply bread and fish and feed them if he wanted to. Lots of people believed in Jesus. She didn't ask Peter what he believed. She asked Peter's identity. Are you one of these, this man's disciples also? There's a big difference in believing something to be true and committing and submitting your life to that thing, or in this case, that person, Jesus Christ. This girl's, her question is profound. She's asking Peter's identity. Who are you, man? You one of his disciples too? So this same danger, I think, lurks in the shadows of our own lives. When, I'm sure this this girl asking him that question caught Peter by surprise. And often what's really in us comes out when we're caught by surprise. So when you're in the environment where such a question or, or such a, a feeling comes over you, like <gasps> Jesus came up. Or, you know, in an environment, whether you're with family or friends or coworkers or teammates or whatever, and the topic of Jesus comes up or the topic of Christianity comes up or some hot-button topic that the Bible takes a real clear stance on, how do you feel in your gut? Do you hope one, no one knows you're a Christian? Or if they already know you're a Christian, do you hope they don't look your way? Do you find yourself afraid to say anything? Do you find yourself more concerned with your status in that room than Jesus' status in that room? It's a real question, man. Uh, I wish I could answer it always faithfully for myself. But we have to avoid our selfish tendencies that kind of come out in our, in our hearts and minds in these unexpected moments. Um, that's when the reality of what's going on in our souls kind of shows up. Uh, so we've got to avoid being wanting to be a private Christian. Let's also avoid the traps of comfort and self-preservation. It's interesting that John repeats in the passage that Peter was standing and warming himself. John says it twice. It's a, it's a weird detail to mention twice. It's almost like John is saying, I, I can't believe that guy. Jesus is about to go be crucified, flogged, scourged, beard pulled out, crown of thorns, all of that. And he's standing on trial right now. I, John, who I think is John, this other disciple, am in there with Jesus. Peter's outside warming himself. And he says it again, Peter, who was outside warming himself. It seems to me like John can't believe this guy. Peter, but John, this, or the other disciple, had chosen to be in there with Jesus. Peter, supposedly this bold and brash disciple, had chosen different alliances, had he not? He's nowhere near Jesus. He has distanced himself from Jesus, the now persecuted Jesus. 
the soon-to-be-crucified Jesus. Peter distances himself from Jesus. He has chosen a different identity for himself. Are you that guy's disciple? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. As followers of Jesus, we should also avoid unchecked sin. Now, we all know this. We all know this. But I want you to look at this progression. First, again, Peter in verse 17 walks in. You're also not one of this man's disciples, are you, says the girl. He says, I'm not. Now, right then, Peter should, and I would imagine, felt a twinge of guilt. If he has any soul in him at all, he's going to be like, oh, I can't believe I just denied Jesus. What should Peter have done then? Peter should have fallen on his knees and said, my Lord, how, how could I have done that? How could I have done this? Forgive me. Peter should have felt that conviction and got up under it and owned it and yielded to it and repented and he would have been restored. It's not what Peter does. It's not what Peter does. When that first sin, he felt that jab. He felt that conscience that the Lord has given him. He didn't check it. The next, the next question comes in verse 25. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. He keeps sinning. It goes unchecked. And then one of the relatives of the man Peter had struck with the sword, verse 26, calls him straight out. Says one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? He's like, I know you're one of the dudes. I saw you. And Peter denied it again. And at once, a rooster crowed, just exactly as Jesus had foretold Peter it would do. You know, sometimes sin sneaks up on us before we know it. But if we're honest, we know that that is almost never the case. We can almost always see sin coming a mile away. Especially repeated sin like this. We can almost always see it coming a mile away. The question is, what do we do when we see it? What do we do when we see it? When we do notice it, I think we can fall into what's comfortable. Even sometimes when we see sin or sin is on us, we like how it feels. We embrace it. Instead of shrugging it off and repenting and being restored, we're like, man, that sin feels great. It's comfortable. It's warm by this fire out here. Jesus is about to be crucified in there. I'm safe out here. It sure is comfortable right here, coddling my sin. Safer out here, feels better out here with my sin than in there with Jesus and repentant of my sin. This is real stuff, you guys. This is real stuff. It's a downward Spiral. We want to be a private Christian. And we want to be private, then we don't uh, check our sin patterns. We think we're strong enough to dabble in the fire, right? Well, guess what? Your parents were right. You play with fire, you get burned. Yes, we can't dabble. We're not strong enough to dabble. You know, the Bible uh, records lots of strong people of God who dropped their guard and sinned against the Lord. Maybe. Maybe you've done that. Maybe once, maybe a thousand times. You sold Jesus out for the sake of convenience or comfort or pleasure. 
I'll be honest with you, I've done it for all three reasons. All three. And I'm here to tell you, if we're honest, very likely so have you. And if you think that you, and maybe you haven't, don't think that you can't. We've got to be honest with ourselves. Because Jesus died because of us. Because of our sin, because of our denial, because of our betrayal, he took the cross. It reminds me of the lyrics of a song. They won't be coming up on the screen, but listen closely by a group called King's Kaleidoscope called What Have We Done? It says, Oh, my soul. Oh, my Jesus. Judas sold you for 30. I've done it for less. Oh, my soul. Oh, my Savior. Peter denied you three times. I have denied you more. As the nails went in, I was standing right there. As you breathed your last, I shook my head and I cried, Oh, my God, what have I done? We have destroyed your son. We, us. Most of us know this pattern all too well. Thankfully, God does not want to leave us in our state of sin and failure. Write this down. There is hope. There's hope. Man, when Peter failed the Lord so miserably, he probably thought everything was over. He had gone too far in his pride, right? Matthew 26 records that when the rooster crowed, Peter went out and wept bitterly. He finally got it. He's crushed in his heart. Jesus was right. And maybe you find yourself deny, or identifying with Peter sometimes. You have let your sin beat you into the ground and lead you away from uh, clean fellowship with the Lord. Maybe you felt like you, you'll never get up again. Your relationship with the Lord is too messed up, man. It's too broken. You feel so far away from God that God can't reach you. Think about that statement. Can you be so far away from God that God can't reach you? No. You know why? Because he's God. Because he's God. So why is there hope? Because there's grace. There's hope because there's grace. I can't imagine living with a gospel that doesn't found itself on God's grace. And there's grace because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jesus dying because of us and in our place for us means that he does not give us what we deserve. And if we trust our, our, our lives to him, he gives us precisely what we don't deserve. Man, he gives us grace. That's why they call it grace. That's why it's merciful. He offers us forgiveness and love and reconciliation and spiritual renewal. I want you to hear this very well. Jesus, in uh, foretelling Peter's fall, and then having there be a clear sign of it, the rooster crow, is crushing Peter's pride. He said, Peter, I know you'll fall. Watch this. Peter falls. Then Peter weeps bitterly and walks out. Jesus has crushed Peter's pride, and that is a beautiful thing. Man, when our pride is crushed, you know what God wants to do in that situation? He wants to free us from our pride. Man, our pride can be the heaviest shackles we'll ever have. And Jesus here, in revealing Peter's pride and crushing Peter's pride, offers Peter freedom from his 
pride. The amazing thing is that after this happened, Peter didn't pursue Jesus. Jesus pursued Peter even after this. This is amazing grace. Um, The Gospel of Mark has this astounding place in it about Jesus' statement after the resurrection from the dead. One of the angels appeared at the empty tomb and told the women who had come to visit the body of Jesus this. Listen, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Listen to this. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. That little phrase, man, and Peter. Tell Peter. He will go to Galilee and see Jesus also. And history tells us that Peter went on to be restored by Jesus. Jesus confronted Peter in a loving way. Peter, do you love me? Later. And in that, in that scenario, Jesus restores Peter. And history tells us that Peter went on to be one of the most used disciples of the Lord ever. It's incredible, God's grace in Peter's life. The Lord um, speaks to this very well in the book of Psalms. And we'll, uh, we'll close with this. Let's, I want us to read it together. It's coming up on the screen. Listen to the sentiment to the heart of the Lord. Read this out loud with me. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is what makes that possible. It's a victory for Jesus. It's his coronation. And it can be a victory and a deliverance for us as well. King Jesus is mighty to save you guys. Do you know that? He is mighty to save. His grace is greater than all my sins, and his grace is greater than your sins too. I pray that you'll trust him today. Let's pray together, and Pastor James will lead us in the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for your kindness, for your long-suffering with us people who are very much like Peter. Our, the human heart is the human heart. But thank you, Lord, that your grace is your grace. Lord, help us run to Jesus. Lord, help us embrace what he did once and for all on the cross. Help us lay down our self-reliance and trust Jesus with our salvation and our forgiveness and our sustenance and our power and our strength for daily living this journey. Lord, help us to trust you afresh today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.